Hello? 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 I'm testing for echo, Jared. <laughs> Something wow, for nothing. I totally I missed that completely. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I wasn't even, I didn't even pick up on that. So we're in the dungeon of my house recording the Something for Nothing podcast right. this week. Not an actual dungeon. Not an actual dungeon, but it's a dark, dank basement. And there's yes. not much echo in here. No, there isn't. Not too bad. I'm very surprised. There's a lot of stuff in here which dampens the sound, which we were just discussing. Yeah, I mean, it's a basement. That's what basements are for. Yeah. So this is the, the new location for the uh, Rush fan cast, right. Something for Nothing. Thanks for joining us. It's Steve and Jerry. We are back. You can follow us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, the Rushcast, email Jerry at the Rushcast at gmail.com. And of course, rate us. We want you to rate us. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. We forgot to ask people to rate us. So you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah. Please go to the ratings and rate us. That's how we feel better about ourselves. <laughs> it is. I don't know if it I does want anything everyone else to rate us. me. I ask them all day long. <laughs> A scale of one to 10, how am I doing today? <laughs> and how are you doing today? Today, I'm, I'm you know, seven. So the reason we're doing Test for Echo this week is because we did a Twitter poll. That's Remember right. on the last podcast, we decided we were just going to let the listeners decide what we're going to do next. Right. So I put a Twitter poll up and the four choices I gave were Test for Echo, Snakes and Arrows, Vapor Trails, and Feedback. Huh. You bulked them all from the from the later years. Right, right. Well, I, I, I figured we did 2112 last time. Let's go back to something more recent. Let's go back to something more recent. Or, or come forward. forward to something more recent. <laughs> and so I gave those four choices, and uh, Test for Echo came in 38%. Snakes and Arrows and Vapor Trails each had 27%. Wow. And Feedback only got 4%. I can see that. People don't like Feedback. Well, it's, it's not an original album. What are you going to do? I guess. But eventually we're going to have to talk about that, aren't we? Sure. I guess. Well, I, I mean, I, w I was assuming we'd only talk about the original studio albums, but we can talk about Feedback. We can do that. Not today, though. Today, we're going to talk about Test for Echo. Before we do that, I want to bring up a couple of more Twitter polls I did. Just oh, to, yeah. You know, surprise yeah, sure. Yeah, surprise you. So we talked about Tai Shan. We're not going to get into that again because nope. that'll upset you. Uh, <laughs> but the Tai Shan poll I did was either you love the song, not the best, but it's okay, or I agree with Getty Lee, it's an error. Ooh, can I guess? Sure. I'm going to say error. No, not the best, but okay. Wow. Is what people what said. 52%. I mean, they're Rush fans, Jer. Like me. And like me. Yeah, and but I you... don't like it. <laughs> Who's but... a bigger Rush fan than Getty? And he doesn't like it. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if I would consider Getty a Rush fan. Oh, yeah, I guess. He's just in Rush. Yeah. You think he sits home and listens to Rush as much as we do? I don't think no, he does. probably doesn't. Probably doesn't. No. Probably doesn't. So anyway, 18% said it was great. Wow. And 30% said it was an error. So 30% of Rush fans don't like Tai Shan. 17% so. too high on that great thing, but that's okay. Right. And uh, we also asked when we were talking about Hold Your Fire, what your favorite Hold Your Fire song is. What do you think people said? What were your... The choices I gave were Time Stand Still, Mission, and Force 10. And then I allowed allowed them to fill in the, oh, blank, fill in the with, blank with the other. Did the other win? Uh, no, other did not win. Okay, so it's definitely something. Um, Force 10. Time stands still. Great. 45%. Wow. Said time stands still. So that's, that's awesome. That, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. And um, let's see. What's the other one I wanted to bring up? Oh, a song you never saw Rush play live, but you did a lot of they these. did. Yeah, well, I did a lot. I'm not even going to bring them all up yet. Okay. So uh, 
song you never saw Rush play live, but you wish they did play live. What's your song that you never, never saw, saw Rush them play do? live, and I would love to see them play live? Yeah. Oh boy, that's a tough one. Well, we I'll, see, we saw them play all of um, Moving Pictures, so. Correct. And a couple of really good songs off of Signals. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll let you I'll know. I'll say what, Entree New. Entree New? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Our listeners said uh, Cut to the Chase. Cut to the Chase. And Available Light. Ooh, Available Light. That's a great song. That is a great song. A uh, couple people also mentioned Totem, which is on Test for Echo. Huh. Second Nature, Color of Right, another Test for Echo song, Heresy, mm. and Open Secrets. Wow. I always wanted to see them play Hand Over Fist. Yeah. That's from Anagram Presto. for Mongo? Did Anagram they play for No, they didn't. No. Huh. Those would be too cool. Again, that's a, cool a, a lot of a lot of late era rush. Yeah, well, I think back in the early days they played most of the songs on their albums because there weren't. True. You know, for instance, on you know Farewell to Kings, how many songs were there on the album? Five. Right. So you might as well play them all on the tour, right? Yeah. And but there, the, then there were fans like us though who didn't see those tours who would like to have seen something. That's true. But I asked a song that Rush never played live. Oh, you see, I would so, have I would have interpreted that as. I had never seen them play live. Well, you could go there too. Anyway. I don't pay attention to <laughs> questions exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to bring those up. So Test for Echo, Jer. Test September for Echo. September 10th, 1996. Before we started talking about this, I wanted to say, I want you to put yourself in the mind of a 17-year-old Rush fan in okay. 1996. Okay. Because we were 17 when Power Windows came out 10 years prior. Yes. Now this is ten years later. Really, ten years? Yeah, only ten years. Seems like seems like longer. Yeah, but it's only ten years later. We were what twenty seven. Yeah, but what I found just interacting with Rush fans is that people love Test for Echo, and it seems to me that the people about ten years younger than us because it was are, their first album, right? Their first, this first this live was the, experience. This was their first live experience. It was the first album that came out when they were. 16, 17 years old, really getting into music. The, uh, in the pocket. In yeah. The, in the Rush pocket. I think that albums that come out at that time of your life mean a lot to you. Yeah. And I think that's why each era of Rush is hugely important to different segments of the Rush community. Yeah. And definitely with Rush at that time, you know, a teenager, late teens. Yeah. People identify in, in many ways with a lot of the early songs, definitely. I, I just wonder if we were 10 years younger, if this is the album that we would feel real strongly about. Maybe. Yeah, it's impossible to tell. It's interesting uh, to think about, though. I think it, would, it had to have been that, that one concert. For, for me, anyway, I think it was that one concert, that one experience. Right, but... But it, if it had been a, an, another experience, I'm not so sure it would have had the same effect. But if you went to that first Rush concert in 1996 right. instead of 1986... Things would be different. I don't, yeah, things might be different. Things might be different. Speaking of that, I have two ticket stubs here, Jared. Oh, wow, we're going to a show? From the Test for Echo tour. Really? We went to see them on December 15th, 1996 at Continental Airlines Arena, which is now- Continental Airlines Arena. That's the Meadowlands. Brendan Byrne Arena became, Continental Airlines Arena became- Whatever it is I don't know what it is Who cares what it is now? Anyway, it's in New Jersey. East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, we also saw them at the PNC Bank Arts Center. Ah, of course. On June 19th, 1997. So two. Wow. Yeah. Far apart. Absolutely. Two legs of the tour, I guess. Two le- well, two legs of the tour. They didn't change the set list much uh, on the legs of the tour, though. And um, we had discussed 2112 last time. This tour, we were wondering when they played 2112 oh, in its really? entirety. This is the tour. 
that Rush played 2112 in its entirety. It's the only tour that they did that. Wow. So they didn't even do it on the 2112 tour. They they skipped Oracle, the Dream, and Presentation, I think, like we were discussing last time. Right. That's great. Yeah. So we saw- I wish I could remember the shows. We saw them do it twice, Jared. <laughs> I know. It's great. Why don't you remember? I can't remember anything. <laughs> so anyway, um, Tess for Echo, the album. Tess for Echo, the album. You want to talk about- what you think the theme of the album is first before we get into the songs? I don't think there is one. You think this is the one album that doesn't really have a theme? I, I think it might have been going for a theme, but I don't think it, it achieved a theme. Okay. I, I would assume that they were going for a theme, let's put it that way, but I don't see an, a theme emerging from the songs. What about communication? Is that possible? That that was the theme they were going for and didn't quite achieve? I guess so. Test for Echo. I, I don't know. I just couldn't. I couldn't pinpoint it, but you know, I have an unusual relationship to this particular Rush album for some reason, in that when it came out, I did not really like it. Really? Yeah. I didn't like it. I Why not? It was probably me, because now, after I've listened to it, I mean, how many years later? So you hadn't listened to this album since? Since it came out. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you just discovered this again? It was like listening to it for the first time. Are you serious? Yeah, it was, it was great. It wow. was like listening to it and- like an undiscovered Rush album for me. And what are your it's, thoughts now? Well, now it's great. Now I think it's a really, really strong album. But why didn't you like it then? Well, it was 1996, right? Yeah. And music in the, let's go back to the early 90s, mid 90s, Steve. It's a bunch of crap. Candlebox. No, it wasn't and... a bunch of crap. It was also <laughs> there. There was also, there's always a bunch of crap. Okay. But there was always diamonds as well. And there were a lot. There was a lot of good music coming you out. You mean like in, Pearl Jam and just I mean Nirvana, every, yeah, and lots of Fighters and Weezer when their first album came out. So I mean, you were listening to other things. I think I was really into other things. Not that I had given up on Rush because I still listen to Rush. It's just that this album somehow, you know, it escaped me when it came out. Huh? Don't so you why. bought it, you listened to it once, said eh, and then didn't, didn't bother it. Didn't again. grab me. I probably listened to it a few times. Didn't grab me at all. Huh? I can't explain it. Well, I guess it's kind of a good thing, though, because now you got to listen to it now and discover it again. Yeah, yeah. Some of these songs I don't remember ever hearing. Ever? I, yeah, can you imagine that? I know I listened to this album a few times, and it didn't make an impression on me. And as I was listening to this album, I think I listened to it like four times. Yeah. It's a great album. There's some really great songs on this album that I, now that I listen to them, I'm like, oh, this is definitely going in like my top 30 song. Wow. Yeah. Really, really well, good. I can't wait to hear which one that is. So good. Well, I'm glad we're doing this podcast. I know. So am I. See, now I'm forcing you to listen to Rush again, Jer. No, it's great. That's awesome. All right, good. So a um, couple of interesting things about the album before we get into the songs. Produced by Peter Collins. Yeah. Who did Power Windows, right? Yep. He did Hold Your Fire. Yep. I should know what else he did. I think he pr produced four albums for them. Presto, was it? No, that's Rupert Hine. See, again, I should know this. Yeah, you should. I yeah, should. should. This is the final album before Neil's uh, wife and daughter tragically died. Yeah, So there was a six-year hiatus right. after this album came out. Yeah. So this the this could have been, could have been Rush's last album. We thought it was. Yeah, definitely. This could have been it. What do you say we uh, jump in and check out the first track on Test for Echo? Test for Echo. Yeah. Here we go in slow mo. Video, but it goes just for echo. Just for echo. 
thoughts on the first song that you've rediscovered? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting song because it's the it's one of the few title songs for Rush. That's true. You know where the song is the title of the album. Okay. One yeah, of, I hadn't, it's I hadn't thought Angels, of that. Hemispheres, Fly By Night, this one. Oh, wow. I didn't think of that. I'm probably missing one in there somewhere. That might be it, though. Someone yeah. will tell us. Someone will tell us. Which sure. is always interesting when, when a song on the album becomes the name of the album. I usually don't like that uh-huh. because it, it gives too much emphasis on that one song, but that's just me. Okay. But it's a great, this is a great song. It this is. This is a fantastic song. It is. This it, is the one song on the album that sticks in my head for whatever reason. When I listen to this album, I can't, I can't get this song out of my head. It's definitely, I have some, uh, a couple of problems with it. Some, some aspects of it I don't think aged well for me, but again- I'm a weirdo. You, you definitely are. <laughs> but I think for the for the most part, the the idea of this song is really strong. Test for Echo being something that you're looking for signs of life. You're looking for a reaction to what you're doing mm-hmm. in different ways. Like you said before, like communication. Right. And the the image on the cover is a rock formation used by um, indigenous peoples in the Pacific Northwest to show that somebody had like if you make this thing in the like this the middle of nowhere you're like oh it's it's like a marker or a boundary or a or an ar- you know an arrow you go this way and you'll find something or you know mm-hmm. someone had been here so it's proof of life almost proof of life exactly right so as you're looking through life you see one of these things and you're like oh this is this is an echo of someone who had been here before right neil called it an affirmation to know that you're not alone hey there you go Exactly what I was going to say. And Neil would know. He would know. He definitely would. Definitely. I interpret this as watching, waiting for a reply yes. to, to affirm that someone's out there, the echo. Yeah. But overall, for me, it kind of falls apart somewhere in the song for me. The lyrics, you mean? Yeah. Some of the, some of the lyrics, like tough talking hood boys and pro team <laughs> logo knockoffs, you know, it's gangster nation now crimes in syndication and then later on nail-biting hood boys in borrowed ties and jackets a little it's, goofy it's a little it's a little goofy and it's a, a little late 90s fear-mongering i think okay just it just strikes me as odd listening to it now now this is one of the uh, songs that was co-written by Pi dubois yeah another one Pi dubois yeah so neil collaborating with him on this one yeah did neil say that this song was about looking for connection or just the the phrase test for echo i think it was the phrase test okay. for echo because this is really is a song about oh here here i have a quote from neil here oh, we go i was up in yellow knife last june on a motorcycle trip across the country and there's one of those anuka shuck is that how you say it yeah i think the, that's the image on it. the front cover of the yeah. album anuka shuck above the town overlooking it and i was quite taken with it i bought a postcard almost exactly the image you see on the cover i just came back with this postcard and thought of test for echo I thought that's exactly what these men mean when you're out in the wilderness, when you've been hiking for a few days, and you come across one of these things. It's such an affirmation that there's life out there. Yeah, there you go. Again, the same thing. It's an echo, and that's the feeling a traveler in the Arctic would get. That is a sign of life. The same with the satellite dishes. I was kind of referring to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and the test for echo going out that way. So inside the album, uh, or on the back, you see um, satellite dishes. Three, of course. Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't know where that quote came from, but there you go. The song itself, though, I think is about media in general. Mm-hmm. I read it was specifically inspired by the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was what, 1994? Yeah, I think so. I think so. 
more about how kind of like the echo chamber, really. So like when people will try to find in other things the reasons why they believe in things, instead okay. of trying to find the truth, they'll listen to things that affirm what they already believe. Which is also part of the song Totem, which we're going to get into. Right, yeah. Right? That, that explores that theme as yeah. well. But for, for me, you know, he says something about more like crime as entertainment he's really railing against. Okay. Which is true. I mean, I don't know what kind of song he'd write now, considering the, the popularity of true crime podcasts and entire networks devoted to crime. I don't know how, what he would think of those. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. A lot of the lyrics in this album, I think if he wrote them now, would be a little different. Yeah. I mean, there's similar themes going on now. Yeah, definitely. But I think he'd have a different take on it. Yeah. Let's say. And it's also, you know, early internet. Yeah. There's a couple songs uh, that touch on like early internet culture. Right. Virtuality. Virtuality is a good one. Yeah. And you know, it was interesting in the in the late '90s when the web started becoming. Oh, absolutely. It now was, it's it's such a part of our lives we don't even notice it. Right, which is why virtuality is a little. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get into. Yeah, that. yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Why, why don't we move on to track two on Test for Echo, Jer? Driven. Driven. It's my turn to drive, but it's my turn to drive. Driven to the margin of error. Driven to the edge of control Driven to the margin of terror Driven to the edge of a deep dark hole So the thing about this song that I found interesting, first off, is the fact that Getty wrote it completely on the bass guitar. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It sounds like it now that you say that, though. He wrote the, it completely on the bass. Because the bass is driving this song. Right. And there are, no three, there are three separate bass tracks on this song. Three. What do you mean? I guess he created one bass track and then overdubbed another bass track. There are three different playing three, at the same time. Three. Wow. And I didn't know that until I, until I read this. And what he did was when he, he wrote this song... And presented it to Alex. He said, well, you know, I, I laid this down. I had the three bass tracks. You know, I know you'll probably want to change one of them to a guitar. And Alex listened to it and said, no, no, no. Let's leave the three bass tracks. Wow, really? Yeah. And then Getty said, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so Getty really wanted to keep the three yeah, bass course, tracks. Yeah. And Alex, of course, listened to it and said, this sounds great. Which yeah. It does. And um, they kept it. Yeah. And Alex, of course, added so much to the song as well. Yeah, I mean, this his is a great song. His guitar playing on this song is amazing. It was always a, a live highlight, too. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I just, was this the first single on the album? I don't know that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they even release singles on this record. I don't know. Do people release singles anymore? I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think so. I don't, I don't care. Know. I don't care either. Um, but the song is definitely very heavy. This, yeah. is, this is good old Rush. Yeah, yeah, poking for sure. Through. And I love, I love the bass. I didn't know that about the bass, but the bass is mimicking the guitar a few times, definitely at the beginning. Yeah. It's just great, great old Rush. Yeah, and probably it's mimicking the guitar because it was the guitar initially in the song. Yeah. So he basically used the bass as a guitar. Right. And Alex just threw his part on top of it. Yeah. And it sounds great. Yeah. Amazing. Lyrically, I think uh, it's just about facing the unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because some of the lyrics 
start out negative and a lot of obstacles in the way, but then it becomes his turn to drive, right? The music right. kind of takes a turn when he says, it's my turn to drive. It's very chaotic. It's that dun 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 you know? But I love, uh, b- before you get to anything else, yeah. when he says it's my turn to drive, the guitar part there yeah. is just awesome, where it, it just stops and then that's Alex what I, has the, what is what it, I mean. the 12 string? I is that what he's using? 12 string, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like the beginning of it is very chaotic and mm. all of these, all of these things are happening in the lyrics, but then the beautiful 12 string comes in. He's like, it's my turn to drive. Like he's taking control of whatever yeah. situation he's in. That's what I love about it. That's, a, that's it's great. And you just rediscovered this song a week ago? Yeah, it's crazy. That is crazy. It is. I feel like uh, I feel like I might not be uh, describing these songs well enough because I haven't sat with them for so long. No, you're doing fine. Because some of the other songs, I mean, I could talk about, we could talk about Hemispheres right now without me even having listened to it in, I don't know, however long it's been since I listened to it. Right. But this album. You had to really. I, I, yeah. I was listening to this for the first time. Wow. Then in the past two weeks. I mean, I listened to this album maybe four times in the past couple of weeks too, but I, I had listened to it recently, more recently than you. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's just the, the one that escaped me. I don't know. The one that got away. Okay. All right. But you know, Neil, again, lyrically, he's just clever and interesting all the time. Yeah. The, the lyrics in, in, on this album are very clever. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It's just when he uses um, the margin of error. And the edge of terror or whatever like the edge of control edge of control and but he's got edge and wedge and error and terror mm-hmm. which are if you if you look at them written down edge is in wedge and error is in terror right something that he did throughout anagram from mongo yeah yeah i didn't i didn't catch that in this one but that's true yeah it's that's an, great it, he's i was just impressed and i like the bridge too uh driven in driven out yeah driven off driven on yeah which is also very clever and cool. Yeah. The whole thing is clever and cool. It's clever and cool, That's man. That's what the album should have been called, clever and cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have sold as much. Yeah, I don't know. It, I sold don't know. A, it sold only a half a million copies, so it never went platinum. Well, 96. It's when uh, people stopped buying years? albums. Yeah, yeah, I mean, those are the Napster years, right? Yeah. People just stopped buying albums then. Interesting. Uh, anything else about Driven before we move on to track three, Jer? Um, yeah. Okay. Neil's use of um, the symbols at one point in this song where he's just hitting the bell mm-hmm. of the symbol while Getty's playing the yeah. I mean, just if you haven't listened to it in a while, you could listen to that part on repeat. It is a perfect part in a, in a perfect Rush song. Yeah, that's great. It is. And the production on this album, I think is fantastic. It is fantastic because if you can hear, if you can hear that bell ringing. Yeah. And I, you know, I read through a couple of different Rush books that I have about Test for Echo, and some people said the production was terrible in this album, and I, yeah. I completely disagree. Yeah, I disagree too. Now, Vapor Trails, I would say the production was terrible. It was, which is why they had to re-release it. We can <laughs> no. get it. We can get into that next next time or whenever we talk about Vapor Trails. Right. But uh, this album, I think, sounds fantastic. Yeah, and definitely, um, maybe we should talk about that when we talk about the album. I don't want to talk about driven for 20 minutes unless you want to okay in between the previous album and this one they had an 18 month break yeah and this is when neil took drum lessons Uh, i'm making air quotes because he didn't take drum lessons exactly it it was the grip of his sticks i believe he He changed changed the way he gripped the sticks he was doing matched grip where you just 
hold the two sticks in both of your hands the same way. And uh, he switched to traditional grip, which is when you hold the stick in your left hand between like the thumb and the fingers. Now I don't play drums, but I would think that's huge though. It's, it's a, yeah. You have to relearn how to play the drums, don't basically, you? Basically. Absolutely. And I think it shows, especially on a song like this, because he's, he's playing a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. He, he isn't using um, the cymbals in the same way he used them before. They don't, they don't crash a lot on this album, and especially in this song. I think that's where I first noticed it. Because there's just, I mean, I'm telling you, you have to listen to that one part where he's hitting the, hitting the bell of the cymbals. It's an insane rhythm. Well, let, let's throw it in right here. Yeah, let's do it. I didn't just hear that, but <laughs> I'm hearing it in my head. It's fantastic. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So yeah, I think Neil's approach uh, might've really invigorated the band, just his approach, because if he's playing differently, then Getty and Alex probably start playing differently. Yeah. And I think just the break, I think at that time of their lives, they needed a break. I think Getty had his first child in between uh, counterparts in this album. Um, Alex put out Victor. Put out Victor, yeah. And um, Neil reinvented himself. He did. So they went away and did their own thing and came back uh, re-energized. And yeah. It shows. It does. It did show. Yeah. So let's move on to track three on Test for Echo, Jer. Half the World. Thoughts on Half the World? Oh, another great song. Now, another a great song. Now, uh, one of these books I read yes. compared this song to a Hootie and the Blowfish song, which I thought was... That person is an idiot. Who, do you know who said that? I, I don't. But no. Hootie and the Blowfish? Nope. No, no, right? Not even close. Now I'm mad. I'm yeah, mad. I, I'm mad too. <laughs> That's not... I'm so mad. So Alex plays a 10-string mandala at the beginning of this song. So that's the instrument you're hearing there. I thought it was at the end. Was it the end? I thought it was at the beginning. Maybe both. Perhaps. He's definitely playing it at the end, like in, in lieu of a solo. I guess that's where his solo is. He's definitely playing it at the mm-hmm. end. I looked up what I had to look up what a mandola was. And what is it? It is uh, the, I don't want to say the first version of a mandolin, but the mandola came first and then there's the mandolin. And mandolin literally means small mandola. Tiny guitar. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the difference between a, it's the same difference between a viola and a violin. Right, right. Now this this song to me just is perfect for, for now, not it just nineteen ninety six, right? Yes. It's about well, it's about a lot of things. It's about let's say the duality of life, but it's not really duality of life. It's the it's the partition of life. Mm-hmm. Partition of people's attitudes toward just about everything. Half the world. I, I can't even, I don't remember the lyrics right, right top of my oh, head. Oh, um, I've got the lyrics right here. Yeah. Half the world hates what half the world does every day. Yep. Half the world waits while half gets on with it anyway. That's right. Half the world lives, half the world makes, half the world gives while the other half takes. Right. Uh, it's great. Yeah, half, these, the, half the world is 
half the world was, half the world thinks, while the other half does. Simple lyrics and not as complicated or as verbose as other Neil lyrics. Clear and right to the point. I'm sorry, I'm I'm gushing like a no, but the but the world the world has never been more divided, I think, than it is right now. So this this is a this is a song for for this time, not only 1996, but it is 2019. And a lot of the lyrics, you know, they 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 touch on jealousy too. Mm -hmm. They you know or or anger at other people. Right. Like, you know, half the world works while the other half takes. What was that line? Half the world gives while the other half takes. Right. That, I mean, we could talk about that one line. Forever. For, for a podcast. <laughs> half the world cries, half the world laughs, half the world tries to be the other half. That's right. I love that line. Yeah. The other, every, half the world tries to be the other half. Is this, I'm always trying to be you, Jer. Are you really? Yeah. That's very sweet. We're on the other side of the world from each other. <laughs> Did you know that? I'm on this side of the world <laughs> right. and you're on that side of the world. Let's stay over there. It's, I love that line because uh, it is about, that particular line is about jealousy. Everyone wants to be better looking, richer, mm-hmm. whatever, have more of this, have more of that. And the other half, you know, there's always that trope about uh, rich people who are just like, oh, if only my life were simpler kind of thing. There's right. always the grass is always greener on the other right. side type of No matter deal. what side you're no on. No matter what side you're on. Somebody else doesn't have your problems or can, you know, live an easier life for whatever reason. And that's what that's about. Yeah, and that's what the whole song is about, really. Is. My favorite line is the, the one of the last ones. Half the world cares while half the world is wasting the day. Half the world shares while half the world is stealing away. Brilliant. It is brilliant. I, I mean... I can't really say anything. The song is just about perfect. Hooting the Blowfish is the biggest insult. Uh, the biggest They insult. wish they wrote this song. Yeah. It my, is a big insult. My favorite line is, half of us divided like a torn up photograph. Uh, you can just see that image in your head. You can see the image in the head, but the, the fo- using the photograph as that uh, metaphor is interesting. Yeah, there's a photograph. And there it is in, in the uh, liner notes. Right. The world cut in half like a torn up photograph. Right. Because a photograph torn in half is an incomplete picture, literally. Yeah. And they all, and the, the image only makes sense when the two halves are put back together. So. There you go. There you go. It's, it's, a, it's a song about trying to come back together out of all the things that divide us. And this is a song that I think that the non-traditional Rush fan, just, just any generic person you pull over on the street, you could play them this song and they say, hey, yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. You know, I it's mean, not it's, proggy. it's not proggy. It's not, uh, it's not typical Rush. Right. Which I think also makes it great. Yeah. They do things outside of their lane. Yeah. And they do them well. I mean, this is one of those songs I could play for my wife and say, what do you think of this song? And she'd say, oh, that's great. You know? Yeah. She would like it. You should do that. I should try that. Try that tonight. See I'll what tr- happens. I'll try that. And then next podcast, I'll let you know. Right. How it turned out. We'll have her on as a guest and she can talk about her thoughts about it. I don't know if we should do that. <laughs> I don't know if we should do that. All right. Let, let's move on to track four on Test for Echo, Jer. The Color of Right. Equality of justice. Equality of light. Equality of mercy. Gravity and distance Change the passage of life Gravity and 
thoughts on this brilliant song, Jar? Well, br- <laughs> brilliant's a little too much for me. I like this. I really like this song. I like the theme of the song, and I like many of the lyrics of the song, but I I just don't like the song. Really? Yeah, the, the structure of it. Okay. Just the way it comes together. To me, the whole song doesn't gel. Okay. And I think this is part of where, you know, I couldn't find a theme for the album. Somewhere around here, okay. the theme kind of falls apart for me. Okay. If there is one. I mean, I feel the same way about a different song on this album, which we'll mention later. Okay. I just, I just, it just doesn't grab me. You know? Okay, and, yeah. th- and that's how you feel about this one? This is how I feel about this one, yeah. Okay. But it starts off for me that the beginning of the song, the guitar part, near the beginning sounds to me a lot like the first song on the wall pink floyd's really? the wall in okay. the flesh all right I, I i i'm not picturing it in my head i know you'd have moment. to hear the two of them together i i can i can throw it into the podcast you want uh, me to do that i don't know yeah it's gonna waste too, yeah, much, it's gonna time. Waste too much time okay so uh, that just always brings me out of a song when i hear when i hear bits of what I think sound like another song. And then, then my head's off in another direction. So you're thinking about Pink Floyd when you hear this song. Yeah, I'm thinking about The Wall. Okay. And then at, in the chorus, there's a part in the chorus that sounds like lock and key. Really? Yeah, that's just me again. Okay, I'm not hearing that either. And maybe I'll, we'll play for it. I'll play it for you after. Okay. So we don't bother everyone else. But if anyone wants to care to listen All right. to the beginning and the, the chorus, see if you can pick it out yourself. So what do you think um what do you think the lyrics are about? To me the whole song is about um the difficulty of finding what's right. Again, it's like the the truth that we were talking about. Right. There are so many different things that again color your perceptions mm-hmm. of what becomes right and wrong. My interpretation was that this is a song about a relationship really. And one person in the relationship thinks they're doing what's right. And the other person thinks something else is the right thing. Disagrees with what the first person's doing. I, yeah, that, that's possible. I mean, I, I just think of all rush songs in, especially songs like this in a more broadly. Okay. I just think he's, to me, he's thinking about literally right and wrong and who is right and why are they right? And over time, what was right a hundred years ago was no longer right. Right. And a hundred years from now, the things that we're doing right now that we think are right are going to be considered wrong. The final uh, phrase of the song kind of sums that up. Gravity and distance change the passage of light. Gravity and distance change the color of right. Yeah. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a beautiful It lyric. is a beautiful. And maybe I'm changing my mind as See, I listen gra- to this song. It's a great song, Jeff. Because, to, again... Neil uses the word gravity in two different ways in this little couplet or whatever it is. Gravity and distance change the passage of light. So there he's, he's talking about physically gravity, gravitational pull. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think he's talking about the gravitational uh, pull, gravitational warping of space-time around oh, a large okay. object. I thought he was talking and about the gravity and weight of the situation. That's the second part. Okay. To me, gravity, okay. gravity and distance change the passage of light, which is true. Oh, Be- you mean that's that's actual gravity? That's actual gravity Got because it. uh, it's called gravitational lensing, I think. Or, you know, it, gravity, a large object, warps the space it's in. Okay. And then light will bend around it. It will follow the line of actual physical space and 
bend around things. It doesn't go in a straight line because well, it is going in a straight line to itself, but it's following the bend of the warping of space itself. Wow. And then the other one, the gravity of the situation does the same thing. As one is the passage of light, the other is the color of right. It changes the, oh, okay. the gravity. What's right. I think you've got this perfect, Jer. What's right in a in one serious situation is not going to be right when the gravity is less if that situation isn't as dire. Mm-hmm. Two, that you can make the same decision in both times and different outcomes will be right for that situation. It's brilliant. How do you not like this song, Jerry? Uh, this is a, great, this is a great song. Here's a quote from Neil. There's a great difference between theory and practice. When things are serious, when we see them up close, they look different. There you go. Yep. That's, yeah. You know what I'm, I've come to discover? That Neil is just way smarter than all of us. He is. He really is. He's he, such a brilliant man. Just a smart, smart guy. Yeah, he's the professor. Way smarter than, than you or I will ever be. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I was thinking of was that you can, when it comes to that difference between right and wrong in different situations, is that you can't change the fundamental nature of an act uh-huh. but you can change the circumstances around it and that changes whether or not that act is good or bad yeah i, I see what you're saying like, yeah. like war it's perfectly fine and encouraged to kill people mm-hmm. because you're in a desperate situation right but you're walking down the street and you're killing people eh, it's not it's not or, the right decision or how about thing. this you know we talked about manhattan project yeah power windows yeah there's a perfect example. They dropped the bomb. Was it right or was it wrong? Right. Depends on perspective. Depends on the gravity of the situation. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So it this does. sort of ties in with that, sort yeah. of, in a weird way. And then at the end, I think he says, make it easy. So he, at the end of the song, after showing how difficult it is to determine what's right and what's wrong. Make it easy on yourself. There you There's nothing more you can do. You're so full of what is right, you can't see what is true. Yep. Wow. And that is the path to uh, hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because you can, if you focus too much on what's right, you kind of lose perspective on the bigger picture. Sometimes uh-huh. again, like what's what's good in this moment, what's right in this moment may not be the best thing to do overall right depends on what moment you're in depends on what moment you're in Hmm. and it's a difficult concept for people to understand even for me to understand because we don't like to think that every thing is conditional that we live conditionally that things are aren't right or wrong you know what else i'm discovering you're way smarter than i am (laughs) neil may be smarter than you but you're smarter than me I don't think that's true. One thing I was not smart about is because this is a CD, you know, we usually do side one of the album in the first podcast and side two in the second podcast. I had no idea which song ended yep. side one. I had the same problem. So I had to go what find, do you think? find the vinyl. No, I, I I figured it out. Oh, you I, found I found it. a photo of ooh, the ooh, vinyl. Let me see if I can guess. See Take I can a guess. guess. Um oh boy, that's a that's a hard one. Well, it's because of it's of, either time and motion or or totem, right? Yeah. You see, now I would try and I would go by what would sound better as an opening song for the second side. Okay, which would be Totem. 
And you are correct. Nice. Time in Motion is the last song on side one. Yeah, well, this is a this is a problem that we are going to run into from, I guess, from Signals on out. Yeah. Or maybe uh, Grace Under Pressure on out. Right. Because I don't have the vinyl. I don't have the vinyl of those. And I don't even think I got um, Presto on tape. The other ones I had on tape. Wow. I just had them on CD. Everything else after the, after, from Presto on I had on CD. So there are no sides. So here it is, Time in Motion. Time in Motion, wind and sun and rain. Days connect like black stars in a train. Fill them up with precious cargo. Squeezing all that you can find. Spontaneous elation and the longing. So uh, thoughts on time and motion? No, here. time and motion. What are time? What is time and motion about? <laughs> this was for me where uh, the the album started to sag. Okay. I don't like this song. Really does nothing for me at all. All right. I actually wrote down while I was listening to it. I have nothing really to say. You have nothing to say? Not really. Um. Well, I found out a few things about this song. Yeah. Um. It was written years earlier, but never used on a previous album. So I guess maybe counterparts what i read didn't really say i was gonna ask what when was it written what where i read it, it did not say it just said it was written years earlier it's nice and the and thing big. i found interesting uh, about this song is there are two time signatures that are it's not in four four now, there are quite a few rush songs that are in odd time signatures course, yeah. and this one is in 12 8 and 10 8 <laughs> and i can't even imagine what yeah. that is <laughs> <laughs> it's well it's it's crazy i mean every other album every other um every other song on this record is in four four except for this one really yeah so this is the one that's in the odd time signature and you can hear it in the beat of it you know which makes yeah, of it, course I, I think it makes it interesting mm. i like it when i listened to it a few times i couldn't even grasp what it might be about really it yeah did you have any insight in, into that uh, you know i was i was kind of depending on you to give me the insight into i have, that, I have no insight on this song at all yeah, I don't know. I mean, hit me, hit me, hit me with some lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, time and motion, wind and sun and rain. Days connect like boxcars in a train. Fill them up with precious cargo. Squeeze in all that you can find. Spontaneous elation and the long enduring kind. I like spontaneous elation. That's nice. Into yeah. A- <laughs> uh, I mean, what's it a song about? The passage of time. Yeah, I think and so. And a lot of Rush songs are about the passage of time. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't know, no big revelations. You know, it's no color of right. Even though I said I didn't really like yeah, that song. Yeah, you said you didn't like that song. The lyrics of the song are great. The lyrics are great. But I said, you know, other than the than the topic of the song, I didn't really like the song. One thing I really like about Time in Motion is the guitar solo. Alex's guitar yeah. solo is probably the best one on this record. Oh, it's yeah. just just amazing. That is true. I think the musicianship on this song is great. The drums are great. I, I, lo- I love this song. Yeah, it's one I, of my favorites on the record. Oh, I was uh, I put a little note here that it was going to be at near the end of my list of favorite of favorite. Okay, songs. all right, but you know I wasn't taking the lyrics into consideration. You know, I mean, I just like the song. So there you go. I always look for for Rush songs in particular. Neil is such a great writer, and he comes across with a lot of philosophical and interesting things to think about. Eh, the song really didn't do that for me. That's all. Okay. That's fair enough. 
And with that, I think we should wrap up this episode of uh, sure. Something for Nothing. I mean, we've been talking for almost an hour. So. Really? Time uh, flies. I don't know. Let's see. What's, uh, oh, no. not a, About 45 minutes. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect podcast length. <laughs> it is. We strive for perfect podcast <laughs> length. Uh, so thanks for listening. It's Steve and Jerry. It's Something for Nothing. We appreciate you listening. Please rate us. You're on your podcast app. You're finishing up this podcast. Before you switch to something else, just give us a quick rating. That's yeah. all. That's all we ask. Yeah. And tell a friend. And tell a friend. Oh, yeah. Tell a tell friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend that likes Rush. Hey, I heard this great Rush podcast. These two guys, they talk about Rush for 45 minutes. <laughs> what else do what's, you need to know? What's better? Right. What's better? So, Jar, uh, this has been fun. It has been fun. This is a great album. Yeah. And uh, until next time, you have a quote for me, sir. I do. Make it easy on yourself. There's nothing more you can do. So true. Take it easy. All right. See you.